you would remain standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 21. We are really close to ending our time together in John. It's making me a little bit sad. It's like I've been hanging out with John and all of this stuff for a year and a half, and that's going away. And so, yeah, I get a bit sad at the end of things like this. So John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, the grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, thank you for this glorious text. Lord, I pray that we would see with hearts of faith that we would learn lessons for ourselves and about the building of your kingdom and church in this world. Shape our minds and hearts around love for you, Christ, who continue to feed and nourish your people. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I've always enjoyed watching uh, rockets take off on TV or when we're in Orlando, occasionally we can see from a distance, you can see the, you can't really see the rocket, you just see the results of it uh, launching. But the up close, close video is really remarkable. You have this massive launch pad. You have this really cool rocket facing skyward. You have this clock counting down. What, what's, not to love about all of that. And then it's just power. 
It's just these controlled explosions, basically, is all that's going on. It's this massive, sustained, controlled explosion, and then liftoff. And then by the time it's in outer space and hit, hitting orbit, it's going incredibly fast. I mean, it's hard for us to conceive. In some senses today, I, I think of this text in front of us a little bit like that. It's, it's like this moment before liftoff of the church and God's people, the ascension of Christ. And it seems like all these small and insignificant details, but they're so full of power, full of the gospel, the good news going into the world. This launch pad of the gospel here is breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Food is a big part of John's narrative. He chose to open the narrative section of his gospel with a wedding feast. He wants us to know that this is important. Eating is important. Here again, we come to another feast. There's something about Jesus and eating that is powerful in revealing who he is to us. In Luke 24, we read, when he was with them at table, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. They recognized Jesus over a meal. Throughout John, food has been this, this big um, metaphor for what Jesus has come to offer to you and me. He says to us, I know you're hungry, but this food that you keep on eating day in and day out, it will never satisfy. You need me, Jesus says. You need to take me in. Have you ever thought about the reality of eating that God created? Like he, he embedded in humanity this need to eat. Before the fall, Adam and Eve ate. Just like work was good, eating was good. We have to take something in. And embedded in us taking something in is also this notion that every single bite of food that we ingest, we do so because of God. We would have nothing apart from Him. Today we come to the epilogue of John's Gospel, and in many ways it mirrors the prologue. I'm not going to drag you through all of that, but John opened his gospel in a unique place, not with the birth of Christ, but with Christ being before all creation. He existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. From there, John goes on to give us this kind of a two-volume set, a book of signs and a book of glory, and they're matched. He's a really good writer. So they're, they're this match set, and here at the end, we, we had this summary statement we looked at last week. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. That would have been a great place to end. If I could come up with a conclusion that good, I would just set it down. I'm done. But he doesn't do that. Again, he's, he's balanced. He knows that he gave us this incredible prologue. He, he's got to give us, he, he, he's made his concluding statement. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to earth. 
He has lived in your place. He has died to take your place. And now Jesus is physically risen from the dead. Believe in him. Trust him. Have life in him. And, but now he's going to give us more. He's going to show us how Jesus is at work in us in the most ordinary parts of our lives. This text embraces the idea of work and breakfast. That's the backdrop of this text. Utterly ordinary provision by Jesus. It doesn't get any more homey and earthy than breakfast. Thing is, no matter how much of God's glory we comprehend in terms of teaching and doctrine and theology, if we aren't seeing his provision in the utterly mundane areas of life, then we're missing his glory. Jesus is here for his people. And we are meant to see what he's up to, not only in the extraordinary, but also in the utterly mundane areas of life. In John's prologue, he reaches back to eternity past. Here, he reaches right down in close to a beach, a seashore, fishing, work, failure, and provision. I guess before we even launch in, how is the gospel at work in you in utterly ordinary ways? Does the gospel matter to you when you go to work or go to school? Does it matter to you when you're thinking about your hobby? What difference does Jesus make in our day to day? John launched this thing with Christ from eternity past, but we have to see where he's setting it down. Utterly ordinary. We'll approach the text in three parts. Empty. Full and breakfast. First empty, verses 1 through 3, as Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another way of saying Galilee. It's just a different term for the same sea. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, and then he goes through a list. They decide to go fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat. But that night they caught nothing. John is still wanting us to look at small details. He's already alerting us. Jesus is about to appear to them again, but in this way. He's like, pay attention again to the way that Jesus reveals himself to his people. Look closely. Large fish, Peter swimming, disciples discouraged, a charcoal fire. Pay attention. The big lesson of this section, Jesus is inviting failures to a feast. They have this big plan, we're going to go fish. Listen, they were professional fishermen. This is what they did before Jesus called them, hey, leave your stuff and come and follow me. They were not inexperienced. These guys knew water, they knew fishing, and they failed. The lesson of this text is that Jesus Christ comes to failures in their failure and provides. Verse 1, 
tells us Jesus revealed himself. And this is a really interesting theme that has gone on and on through John. Jesus being revealed. He's telling us this is what needs to happen for you too. Jesus, by his spirit, we are meant to see him. He is meant to be revealed to us. We're told that the disciples are going back to work. It's really interesting. If you read at all on something like that, several have like, sent some serious shots against the disciples for this. One commentator says, quote, complete apostasy. Aimless activity undertaken in desperation, end quote. I think that's crazy. It's not apostasy. They're going back to work. There's nothing in the text saying they they did something wrong. They're going back to work. I find it interesting that neither Jesus nor John ever rebukes them for going fishing. No, it's not about that. It's not about your devotion, your, your proximity to Christ. It says you can't go and do a vocation. That's not it. That's not the point. That's utterly missing the point. They're going back to work to provide for themselves and their families using the skills that they had. They were fishermen by trade. Of course, they're going back to work. Who's going to be invited to this feast? So we have this list of names. Notice the first two, Peter. Right? Where have we seen him recently? Denying the Lord. The first one listed of the seven who are going to come to this feast was a denier of the Lord. And Thomas, who we've also seen recently in the text, what was he about? Doubting. Seven are listed, not all by name, but there are seven there. And the first two, the first two in the list We're a denier of Jesus and a doubter of Jesus. Who is going to be invited to this feast given for failures? Deniers, doubters, sinners. Truly, God is good and his grace is utterly astounding. So seven of them are together, the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, they, they're, they're basically back home. They're all together. The end of verse 3 tells us that they fail. They fish all night. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you have fished for a long time and not caught anything. That is a humiliating feeling. You fish for any... You could, you could probably fish for 20 minutes and feel humiliated. Imagine several professional fishermen going at it all night and catching nothing. These guys were good at their job. They failed. John is inviting us into this illustration of John 15, 5. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Nothing. Not even catch fish. We're being invited into a lesson Do we actually believe that, though? Listen, I know people do things in vocation all the time, but do we see our lives and our careers as students, as teachers, doctors, pastors, 
engineers, nurses, counselors, salesmen, administrators, lawyers, whatever it is. Do we see those vocations in, in light of this reality that apart from Christ, we can do nothing? That's the lesson he wants his tiny little church on the Sea of Galilee to learn. Empty. Work, 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 come up empty. Yes, their inability is also a spiritual condition. They are unable to produce for themselves. We're empty apart from Christ. We will forever have lack without Christ. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. However, Jesus is also making this about the physical realm. Jesus is alive bodily, and he proves here that he is the one who provides for his people. He comes to his disciples twice. And here again, Jesus is pursuing his disciples. Every single time in John's gospel that he is with someone, he is pursuing them. He comes after Mary. He goes to the disciples. He goes back to the disciples. Here he's coming to them at the beach. Look at the grace in that. He is the one pursuing. So there they are, failures, empty nets, and from empty to full. And this reality of just simple obedience. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Did you catch that? The, the day was breaking and Jesus was arriving. John is tinkering around with something. He's not telling us that they looked and saw the sun coming up. It's not what he says. He says that day is breaking and Jesus is arriving on the beach. Who does John see? Who has he told us all along is the light? This, this whole gospel is about light breaking into the world. He, he, John is tinkering with words. And he, he's saying Jesus' arrival on this beach is like the sun coming up. It's utterly beautiful. It's staggering. He wants us to understand here is the light of the world. Whoever walks in the light will never be in darkness. In Revelation, there is no sun. There is Christ he is the light. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, have you any fish? They answered, No. Why is Jesus calling them children? Did that stand out to you? Remember the prologue? It's almost as if John is retelling the whole thing. And John 1, 9-13, just listen to this. The true light, which was gives light to everyone was coming into the world and he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God he's connecting light breaking into the world with children and here in the epilogue in the outro John is doing the same thing he's saying light is breaking into the world Jesus calls them children. Children. And then he asks them about catching fish. When fishermen catch fish, we talk a lot about it. But when we haven't caught anything, 
If I spend a day out fishing and I haven't caught anything, the last thing I want you to say is, how many fish did you catch? I'm probably not going to give you an answer. I'm just going to kind of grimace at you. Nope. That's what they say. Mm -mm. Nope, haven't caught a thing. Thanks for pointing that out. Jesus is again revealing his utter dependence on himself. And I think there's ways in every single one of our lives that we can relate to this reality. Where we're very aware of our own lack. Our own lack of ability, our own lack of capacity, the reality is that we can't get something done that we desperately want done. And Jesus comes along and he puts his finger right on it and he pushes. Not because he's not being gracious. He wants us to know that we have lack. And in those areas of lack, he wants us to find our satisfaction and hope and joy in him. In him we live and move and have our being. Earlier we prayed... Give us this day our daily bread. Do we mean that? Do we really mean that? He is proving the reality of that prayer to the disciples. You have caught nothing and you need me. Jesus is calling to them to come to a feast because he has fish. He has bread. He has prepared. Jesus came to call sinners, failures, deniers, and doubters, to call them to a feast. Every single one of us, we have all failed to live up to God's righteous standard, and He calls us to come and dine with Him anyway. Before he calls them to this feast, he gives them a command. Verses 6 through 8, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you you will find some. So they cast it. Simple obedience. It's kind of unbelievable. Professional fishermen, really unsure at this point who who Jesus is, who's telling them what to do. And the, the boats aren't super wide. You would think if they'd been fishing on this side, they would catch the same fish. Not there. Haul your net up. Throw it out on the other side. And they simply obey. That's remarkable to me. They simply do it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, they, they, so they catch this huge catch. They, they can't even haul up their nets. Then John says to Peter, that's the Lord. I know who's on the beach. Peter Stripped for work, grabs his clothes, flies in, and takes off swimming. It's really a remarkable scene. This would have, seen, would have seemed odd to professional fishermen. But I, I think John wants us to see all these little details. The sun was coming up, beginning to dawn, it's beginning to dawn on the disciples. What's going on? Who's on the shore? And they simply obey him. The word of Jesus' command Cast your nets on the other side. The word broke in and it was so Jesus' word is full of abundance. I love this quote from Andy Wilson. It's a really interesting book. In the Christian story, the material world came into existence at the point of speech. And that speech was ex nihilo, from nothing. 
the voice of the Lord is powerful. When he speaks, we are to simply hear and obey. I love how the the psalmist in Psalm 19, very familiar, um, praises the words of the Lord. More concludes this way, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, as your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Again and again and again, that psalm just goes on and on and on, praising the word of God. The disciples simply hear this word and obey. And in keeping the word, Their nets are full. John is pointing us to this whole reality too. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus takes a bunch of fishermen and says, I will make you fishers of men. He's wanting us to connect all these dots. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. He's teaching us spiritual lessons. This is what the church is going to be about. This is that launching pad I was talking about. This is the power and the beauty of the gospel itself on display. Cast your nets. Follow Jesus and cast nets. And he will provide. And then we have these two incredible moments. Some of my favorite moments in the whole book. First, John. I can see him, the the sun is rising, the the sun is present. Light shining into the water and them straining at these full nets and they've worked all night long. And then light just glistens off the scales of these giant fish. They, They even count the fish. Light glistening off of the scales and he 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 knows. He connects the dots. It's the Lord. Who's on on the beach? God is. God is standing on the beach. That's been John's point all along. We need to know who he is. God is the one standing over there. God is just called our Lord Jesus, the Master. Looking at these huge fish. And seeing with and tugging on these nets with all their might, he he realizes and he mumbles it to his friends. It's him. John doesn't have any questions. Jesus is revealed to him just like he was at the tomb. He came in and he knew it was all true. Here again, he has quick insight. There's another poignant thing here. Peter, stripped for work, now he throws on his clothes, dives into the sea and flies to the Lord. John had to beat Peter to the tomb. He wasn't going to beat him this time. Jesus is reeling in his fish. As the men try to haul in the fish, Jesus is hauling in Peter. What a reversal. Do you remember Peter's life where it started with Jesus? I haven't done this much, but we need to. Luke chapter 5, when Jesus was gathering his disciples, we read this exchange. I'm just going to read it. 
Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I would let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boat came to come and help. When they came, they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. That was Peter's reaction to Jesus doing the same thing. Depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. What made the difference for Peter? Now he's not trying to get away from Jesus. You can't stop him from flying to Jesus. He throws himself in. He's met the resurrected Christ. He knows that it's all true. And he's willing to freely abandon everything else to, to fly to Christ to be with him. His entire life has been turned upside down by the gospel. He had met the risen Lord. And that's transformative. Just like Mary in her tears, Jesus breaks in. The resurrection comes in and transfers tears to joy. Just like the disciples fear locked in the upper room. Jesus breaks in and says there's no no reason to be afraid. Peace. Just like doubting Thomas the next week in the upper room, doubting everything. Jesus comes with his scars. It's really me. Jesus is now meeting Peter in that way. Not depart from me, but I'll do anything to be with the king. And eventually he would die for his king. The lesson we learn from Peter, we'll continue to learn next week, is a basic gospel lesson. And it's very important, very profound. The gospel says people can change. People can change. You are not a static reality. Peter changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ broke into his soul and it changed him. People can change. Third breakfast on the beach with Jesus. So they get to land and they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid on it. And bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter went on board and hauled the net to shore, large, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, yet the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. So many beautiful parallels here between his feeding the seven on the beach and feeding 5,000 back in John chapter 6. One after another. What is John's point? Here's the provider. Here's the one we need. Whether it's 5,000, and he had 5,000 followers there, but at the end, John is saying, hey, there's only seven here. Time and time again, we're to see Jesus as the provider for us. In our lack, He has a feast. 
when we cannot provide what we need, Jesus is there providing. Not everyone is gone. Not not everyone has abandoned Jesus. What do they see when they come on the beach? They see a charcoal fire. That's only in the Bible two times. And we just saw the other one. Do you know where it was? It's where Peter was standing by a charcoal fire denying Jesus. And here John wants us to say, hey, look at this. Jesus is restoring what is most broken in Peter. He had utterly blown it standing next to a charcoal fire, warming himself as Jesus was being mocked, spit on, beaten, utterly on trial for his life. Peter was standing around a charcoal fire denying him. Here, Jesus prepares a charcoal fire. Not to humiliate him, but to restore him, as we'll see clearly next week. Notice also this odd reality. Jesus already had bread and fish. He already had plenty for them to eat, but he invites them to bring some of their fish. Bring some of the fish that you just caught. Jesus lets his disciples bring something to the meal. He has everything we need. But he welcomes, he welcomes his disciples to bring their gifts. Do you see the lesson for the church? We have every single thing we need already in Christ, but we are invited to minister and use our gifts to love other people. He already had everything, but he's saying, hey guys, grab some of your fish, bring, bring them on. 153, all these Details, they're, they're really fascinating. Why 153? I don't know. Church history has spilled hundreds of gallons of ink on this question, and I've read some of the weirdest things. Some of you math people can help me out with this later, but Augustine argues that this is a triangular, triangular number of 17. I looked it up and still don't know what that is. I don't know. 153 large fish. One, it tells me this is utterly authentic because they thought it was so profound that they took time to count. They were overwhelmed with what had just happened. They, they took time to count their fish. They're going to tell the story to others and they're already making plans to do so. It's utterly historically authentic. Verse 12 gives us another important detail. Although there were so many, yet the net was not torn. It reminded me of John 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The net should be tearing, but it's not. Again, lesson after lesson after lesson, detail after detail. Here on this beach at dawn, seven disciples get to hear Jesus say, come and eat breakfast. What an amazing reality. Restoration, provision, fellowship, discipleship, a meal. Soon, in a few moments, we'll come to the table. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will come and we have the same invitation from Jesus. Come and eat and drink of me.
We have this statement that appears odd to us. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? We have a problem with that because we have been given so much. Remember, he, he had just been risen. This is an odd reality to them. They're trying to accustom themselves to the reality that he actually is alive. The resurrected Lord. We're all here this morning in some way or another as failures. Sinners. We fail to obey God. We have failed in some way in our vocation. We have failed to live up to our own expectations or the expectations of others. We have failed to live as we ought and love those that we are called to love. In the midst of that failure, let us look to Jesus on the beach saying, come here, come to me. I have a feast for you. How can he do that? He can do that because the gospel is true. Because he, the son of God, came into the world to live and die and rise to give life. That's how he can invite the likes of you and me to his feast, to eat and drink of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting failures and sinners to dine with you. For the feast that you have provided for us in your body and in your blood. Lord, would you put your finger on that piece of failure inside of us and bring the gospel to bear in it? Lord, in the ways that we have failed to provide in the ways that we think we should provide, Lord, would you show yourself strong? Open our eyes to the realities of your great grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.